0: Howdy! Welcome to 127 on the Mic. This sermon was recorded by our college pastor, John Davison, as we walk through the book of Daniel on Sunday nights here at 127. We believe that God has something unique to teach us and how the book of Daniel points us to how Jesus is the greater Daniel. If you have any questions, feel free to check out our website, which is fbcbryan.org slash college. Thank you. A couple of reminders of something. Hey, welcome to fall break. Lots well, will come on in a second so I can see you through this club. Uh, you guys are the faithful that either uh, your parents don't like you, uh, you don't like your parents, um, or or you just want to stay and hang out with us, and we love you for that. So we're, we're glad that you're here. we got some work to do tonight to get through Daniel chapter 6, so just just hold on. My Apple Watch just died, and so I don't even know what time it's going to be, but we're going to be done. It's just been one of those days. All right, but it is fall break, and so Bible study leaders and those of you that go to Bible study, this is a good week to come and kidnap Bersheba and take her on an adventure. We heard a cool story from one of our Bible study leaders earlier about them getting to share sort of their faith with a a girl who was just like I was praying for a sign that I should go back to church and this eight-foot bear showed up. And and so, they're excited about that. And so, it's a cool cool opportunity, one, because it's just visible to share people, like, what's going on. Also, a cool opportunity to hang out with their Bible study. So, do that. And then, again, the reminder, Fall Retreat. Caleb said this this morning. I want to correct what he said. Um, He was like, hey, this church has. Has, uh enough money. That's maybe because our God is who he is. That's a little bit of an overstatement, but I had two, two of our senior adults come to me today and go, hey, if there are college students who need scholarships to go, would you please let me know? Um, and so it's not so much that we just have a lot of money. We just have some people who really love college students and they wanna see you there. And so again, if, if finances are an issue in any way, shape or form, would you come and talk to me? I was that scholarship kid. I'm still like the scholarship kid. And so people uh, we are still <laughs> providing ways for me to go and so uh, come and have a conversation we want you there I just checked um, we kind of have unlimited spots but we're like 18 spaces away from being our version of full we will continue to add to that but if you're interested in going sign up tonight the price goes up $30 at midnight tonight so we want to make sure that you do that okay We're good? All right, Daniel chapter 6, let's pray, and then we'll go after it one more time. Uh, God, we need your help uh, to understand this. We need your help to fill us um, maybe with the same sort of boldness uh, and confidence and hope that Daniel has that we're going to see revealed here in this story. And so would you, by your word, bring that alive in us by your spirit? So that we can live lives that impact the world that you've placed us in. And we trust you to bring your word alive in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Daniel chapter 6. Let me set the story a little bit. This is, this is about an 80-ish year old Daniel. Okay? So whatever flannel graph, weird kind of picture that your church had of Daniel and the lion's then looking all swole going against these lions. It's not that frail, gray-haired, probably had a walker when he went up in there. This is the, the vision that's happening here. Okay? Okay, so 80-year-old Daniel, who's gone through multiple leaders, about to do work, and here's the the thing. This story is not fair. There's, There's no part of this story that is fair for Daniel at all. And holding on to that, we need to keep this in mind. At the end of Genesis 50, Jacob dies. Joseph's on his way out to die. His brothers go, our father just died. And this guy who's who's ruling over Egypt, he could make our life miserable. And this is what Joseph says, and it echoes all throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 50, verse 20, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. You planned evil against me, but my God has plans for good. Can we just hold on to that as we walk through Daniel chapter 6? So here, let's just read the first couple of verses. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. Okay, so he's he's one of three. And, and when we read this, I need to start out just by saying this. If you're taking notes, you're writing in your Bible, I just want you to put this. We are called with our lives to honor God, okay, because God alone exalts. Now, we read the story, and we see, well, this, this Darius, this guy, he has appointed Daniel. Now, understand what happened. This is Darius the Mede who's overtaken Babylon, kills the previous king during this party, and now this is the administration. He appoints Daniel and two others as administrators. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Okay, government corruption is as rampant then as it is now. Okay, so we just we have this in front of us. And Daniel is kind of leading these people. Verse 3. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and the satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. Okay, this is echoed throughout all of Daniel. The thing that is setting Daniel apart is this. He is just walking in the spirit. He is led by the spirit. He has an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Yeah, he is, He's being set apart. Why? Because he's honoring God with his life. We're going to see this come alive more so in chapter 6, but we've seen it in the previous 5, how he functions. He's honoring God. He is led by the Spirit. And then verse 4, "...the administrators and the satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy." And no negligence or corruption was found in him. And so, what is what is this saying? He he honors God by walking in the Spirit, and he honors God by serving faithfully. Daniel just, just does what he should have done. He, and I think all of us who are, who are Christ followers should follow this example. Wherever God takes you, whatever your part-time job is right now, even as a student, even as a roommate, even as a son or daughter of parents, believing or unbelieving, they, they should look at you and go, in their actions... I can find no fault. Now this is a little bit challenging for us because we're sinful people. And so maybe they could say like they did of Daniel. For he is trustworthy. He's not corrupt. Okay? This should just be a way that we should seek to live. This is Proverbs 20 verse 6. Many a person proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy person? This is what God is calling you to as a student, as a son or a daughter, as an employee for the rest of your life. It would be beneficial to your testimony if people looked at you and just went, they're trustworthy. There's no corruption in that person. That's just how we should live. And so Darius finds this type of person, puts him basically in charge again over what? Like all over the whole realm is where he wants to put him. The administrators are upset. And so this is what happens. As he exalts God, then God gives him an opportunity to be true to God, even when it's going to cost him. So when we start here, really in verse 5, this is the thing I want you to highlight. I wrote it over here on the side of my Bible. Be true to God, even if it costs me. Be be true to God no matter what, because this is what happens in verse 5. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. They're going, well, he's not going to mess up in like a moral sense. He's not going to mess up in, in any way that we can hold it against him. What if we attacked his religion? What if we went after his God? Because if he's faithful, I think maybe he'll remain faithful if we set up something that goes against... His faithfulness. Okay, now now this is like persecution of the church, if you want to say that. It's kind of happening there. We can make some modern day applications if we want to. But but this isn't, I don't want to go that direction. I just want you to see this. They're going after his religion. And this, this idea is that evil men are going to try to entrap the holy. Those that have evil intentions are going to try to use your belief in Jesus, our relationship with Christ, what we see in the Bible, to cause havoc in your life. Verse 6, so the administrators and the satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. We see that over and over again, which is just kind of a funny thing because there's only one king that lives forever. We sing that song, Um, but they just want to put him in that place. They want to hype him up a little bit. Verse 7. All the administrators of the kingdom. Okay, all? Hold on to that. All the administrators of the kingdom. There's just three of them. The prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict for that 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. All? Really? You think Daniel's like, yeah, it's a good idea, guys. Let's just do that. I don't think Daniel's in on this plan. These are evil men who are trying to entrap the godly in this situation. Therefore, verse 8. Your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as the law of the Medes and the Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house the windows in its upstairs room open towards Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees he prayed and he gave thanks to God just as he had done before and so when when evil men try to entrap the godly godly men remain faithful when When we're called to be true to God, even if it's going to cost you, he he knows the law. He's an administrator of the law. He has been called to prevent corruption in the government. He has that sort of position, and he knew, like, if I just followed this, I have no issue, but instead, here's the thing that I've been doing since, since the beginning, since, since I got here. I'm going to go into my room, and I'm the windows are open. I'm not going to hide. Three times a day, I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give thanks to God, and it's real important, the comma at the end of verse 10, just as he had done before. And here's the important thing for all of us to understand. Daniel's relationship with God was not crisis-oriented. Okay? He didn't run to God because something bad was happening. He just continued to function in a way that he had always functioned. This is what I've always done. I'm going to continue to do this same thing. Godly men and women remain faithful even when they know that it's going to cost them something. Verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. (laughs) What if we started calling prayer meetings that? Let's petition and implore together. It's just a good descriptor. So they approached the king and they asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's Then The king answered, As a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, Okay, that's kind of an insult that they throw out at him. Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict that you signed. For, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. The king has already said that, and he finds out that it's Daniel. He's heartbroken over that. He does everything he can to change this. And they come back to him and he goes, you, You cannot do this. Okay, evil men are trying to entrap the godly godly man remains faithful and here is the the payment for that and, and I look at this and when I said it earlier I said there, there's nothing about this chapter that's fair except for this Genesis 3, 15. At the, it, at the fall, when God has this conversation with men, or with Adam and Eve, before he kicks them out of the garden He says, I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel He's talking to the crafty serpent, going, this is your new relationship. We knew the relationship was broken. Jesus goes on after this to warn his disciples about the same thing. John 16.33, you will have suffering in this world, not you might have suffering in this world. You will have suffering in this world. Paul in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He, he just puts that on display. Peter, as he's talking to the Christian exiles in 1 Peter 4, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to, happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ these are all promised to us and so daniel says i'm gonna remain faithful and we look at this and we go this just doesn't seem to be fair in any way shape or form except for this thing that's happening where god is allowing daniel to put on display his commitment to god even if it costs him everything because because here's the deal they weren't trying to get daniel demoted from his position they were trying to get him killed it wasn't like he was losing his status. It wasn't like he was going to be canceled. He was going to be taken off of the planet. And so the threat against him was, was really, really increased. And here's the just the great part of all of this. They they, they persuade their king, the, the Mede guy, to put in this irrevocable law that can't be changed. They they play on the arrogance of King Darius and it and it works so often as this does with sinful men. And they entrap Daniel into this place. They're going to try to trap him, but he remains faithful because of this. His character wasn't forged in a moment of adversity. He didn't just turn this on. His character was revealed in the moment of adversity. Okay, and so often we have this mindset that I need God to take me through some difficult things so He can chip away those hard parts of my heart um, so that I can pay more attention to Him. When, when actually His play is that if you would be faithful, if you would allow your character to be developed in before moments of, of diversity or adversity, if you would allow your character to be, to be developed in that, then when these things happen, it will be put on display, not built. And this is what he's calling you to. Like faithful, everyday obedience and commitment. Godly men will remain faithful to God no matter what. He goes and he prays, and, and I've been reading a bunch through, through different authors' ideas of Daniel. And John Popper writes this in Daniel's Defiance. He says that, that Daniel's prayer was daring, defiant, and disciplined. Noting that Daniel's public praying was not for prideful show, but for public testimony. It was a public statement about the glory of God over the glory of Darius. And so you can put over there beside his little prayer that this was a daring, it was a defiant, and it was a disciplined prayer. And if we could get in the habit of disciplined responses in our relationship with God, training ourselves for obedience... Contending, as Paul said, fighting for our salvation, which is already given to us, but we continue to grab parts of it. We continue to scrap for it. Then we will grow in our discipline and this can be our response. He didn't hear this thing and go, I need to take a month off. I mean I, I'm, I'm an administrator I just need to disappear for a month And go away so you don't see me praying No he continues to do what he's been doing All of his life in Babylon He's not going to stop Functioning in the way that he was Because his citizenship is in heaven Paul echoes that in Philippians chapter 3 And, and he knew that in Babylon He was a stranger He was an exile as Peter would call us In this place and he's called to live His testimony His belief in God out loud that pushes us into this next little chunk here, starting at verse 16. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lions, and the king said to Daniel, May your God, not may our God, okay, hold on to that. May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. He, he has a deep love for Daniel. He doesn't have a deep love for Daniel's God, but he cares for Daniel. May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. I don't know if 80-year-old Daniel was like a little athletic and they were thinking he's going to jump out. I don't know what was going on there. Then the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace. He spent the night fasting, no diversions, yours may say entertainment were brought to him, and he could not sleep. Verse nineteen at first light, the dawn of the king got up at first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue you from the lions? There's a desperation in this because I think when he gets there, he's just thinking he's going to hear like the, the purr of the lions who've just had dinner. Verse 21, That Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever, but my God sent his angel he shut the lion's mouth and haven't harmed me. "...for for I was found innocent before him, and also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm." The king was overjoyed and gave the orders to take Daniel out of the den, and when Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, They, their children and their wives... They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. They got aggressive really quick. So, so we look at this, and, and I think Daniel is functioning in this, and I think Daniel remembered his, his three Hebrew friends. Who would walk through the whole fiery furnace thing and think in his mind he probably thought, like, I can trust in a God who's able to rescue. I, I can trust in God because He's able to deliver me. Now I can trust in this, but here's the, here's the challenge. We don't get to decide what deliverance looks like. Because 80-year-old Daniel was probably over Babylon at this point, at this point. He was probably thinking, I'm going to go and pray like I always do, and maybe, just maybe, he'll throw me in there. And maybe I'll die. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, he didn't know that, that sentence yet. But I think he was ready. I think maybe he was ready to see his God. I don't think he was suicidal. But I think he had this unique comfort that even if this was the end, he was going to get something better. Even if he didn't fully understand it. But he was also, it's like I saw it with those guys. I'm just gonna trust that God is going to deliver me. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I'm gonna trust that he will. And in that, we see that he just rests in God's plan. From verse 16 to 18, that's just what I wrote. Like, God will God can deliver. I just have to rest in his plan. Because the king gives the order, they bring Daniel to throw him in there. Daniel says nothing. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't go, I'm an administrator, we should stop this. He, he doesn't put up any kind of struggle that we see listed. He's just like, okay. He gets tossed in there. He's just resting in God's plan. This passage, it, it's hard for us not to look at this and, and draw the conclusion or the connection to what happens in Matthew chapter 27. This, this Jesus dies is taken off of the cross and is put into this tomb. And we see this at the end of chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. So here's Pilate with all these clowns, these understudies who are coming to him and going, hey, we need to do this. So like, what happened with Daniel? Necessarily remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him, tell the people, He's been raised from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and they secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guard. In the same way that the stone was put over Daniel's little tomb that he was supposed to die in, Jesus has a stone put over his tomb and it was sealed with the signet rings of the rulers of the day. And in both cases, God brings about a victory that was greater than whatever kind of seal some sort of human puts on there by not only bringing Daniel up out of the tomb of the lions, but raising Christ up from the dead. These connections, it was easy for for them New Testament believers to kind of hold on to this. The early church saw Daniel in the lion's den as like an image of what Jesus was going to go through. And in that, in the same way Jesus trusted in God to rescue, Daniel is trusting in God to rescue. But we see from verse 19 through 24 that we can also, in here, trust or be certain in God's power. I love this conversation as Daniel speaks back to the king. May the king live forever, lowercase k. My God sent his angel shut the lion's mouth I mean you, you could have been like hey he's basically like hey good morning king it's, it's good to see you up there I hope that you slept well I had a great night's sleep because these cats down here they cuddly they're warm, they're, they're super sweet, might be as big as Beersheba, I mean, they're just like uh, just hugging me at night, the fur kept me warm, and, and plus, an angel showed up, and it's always cool when the angel shows up, remember the story of King Nebi and the angel that showed up in there, that was a cool day, it happened again. But, but he closed their mouth, and I was kind of excited to be down there with him because, like, maybe one of them would lick me. I, I don't know, Like, but their mouth was completely closed. They, they didn't harm me at all. And, and you know the reason? Because I honored God. And I honored God who is powerful enough to save. I didn't do anything wrong to you, and then I put the whole situation in my God's hands in the hands of my king and this is what he did. I trusted him. I said, either way, whatever happens, I trust you. I'm going to continue to trust him for as long as I live. Hey, why don't you come down here and hang out with these cats for a minute? Of course, we know that that's not how this plays. He pulls him up out of there and the men that accuse him get tossed down in there with him. They didn't even reach the bottom before their bones were crushed. And we go, okay, like I understand the men, but, John, you said they, their children, and their wives all get tossed in there. Why? Because God had enough of that whole family line? No, because that was the law. <laughs> the Persian law said that if, if, you're, if you're malicious in this way, this is why we kind of know that Daniel was single at this point, if you're malicious in this way, then your entire family went with you. That's how important family was, one. That's how important your word was to them. That He elevated all of this to an unbelievable place. And in a, in a fallen and in a sinful world, we have to understand this. This is the hard part. In a fallen and in a, in a sinful world, there's a somber, there's a, there's a sad side to the salvation of God's people. And it's this, the deliverance of Eve's Seed is always accompanied by the bruising of the head of the serpent. Christ delivers those who are subject to lifelong fear of death by destroying the one who had the power over death. This is Hebrews chapter 2. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Our salvation to everyone who would call in the name of Jesus to be saved is connected to the judgment and destruction of those that don't. And, and this is the sad part of this the dark side of Daniel's deliverance in this story is the judgment that falls on those who sought to destroy him who sought to destroy the kingdom of God because we're fixing to see how this connects all the way to Jesus they were were trying to destroy the kingdom of God so their entire families, their wives their kids are cast into the den and they are attacked and their bones are crushed this end is terrible and their gods who they thought would save save them were unable to rescue them where Daniel's God did the one who is in Daniel is stronger than the one who is in the world. And this is the thing that we get to hold on to and the closing verses of this chapter provide like the appropriate ending to the first section that we kind of shift gears in chapter 7 to the they provide this ending to the section of the miracle of Daniel's deliverance because Darius whatever his his ultimate spiritual condition makes this confession about the God of Daniel. And, and this is what I wrote there when we start in verse 25. We have to recognize that God is going to use you to make his name famous. Okay? Now, now when I say that, that God is going to use you to make his name famous, some of you, either in your humble state, go, no, like, that can't be completely true. Um, or some of you go, hey, what does that actually look like? Okay? Because from early on, the covenant was that if you would follow me, I will use you to impact the nations for my glory. Okay, so he wants to use you to make himself famous. He wants to use you to make his name famous. And it's going to play out this way. You're going to be obedient, and you're going to chase after him, and you're going to you know, live life on mission, and he's going to use you to make him famous. Or in your destruction, and your death, he will use you to make himself famous. Both of those things can happen. And so in, in this, in the Mede King, in his story here, King Darius... Verse 25, he wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth. It's a strong email. Know your prosperity abound. Verse 26, I issue a decree. He's changing the decree before. It's like, hey, 30 days, you can only pray to me. Here's the new one. I issue the decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. He's he's recognizing God. He he knows that that God is, is powerful. And in this story, God is using King Darius to make his name famous. And he says his kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end, verse 27. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. When we understand that God desires to use people to make God's name famous among all of the nations, then we also through this have to recognize a couple of things. God can use unbelievers to acknowledge his greatness which is what's happening here with King Darius. Proverbs 21 uh, verse one is a cool little verse to write down right there beside that. Proverbs 21 verse one says, the king's heart is like a channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. The king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. God can use unbelievers to acknowledge his greatness. And God can even use unbelievers to proclaim his glory. Do you see this? He's the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He protected Daniel from the power of the lions. He's basically like, "Here's, here's this doxology, this deep theological statement coming from this unbeliever. And he's going, hey, God is universally unparalleled. He has no rival. Do you see what he has done on a personal level? He's a delivering and a rescuing God. He's not limited by space. He works signs and wonders. He's mighty. He's supernatural in the heavens and on the earth. Just, just look at Daniel, the guy that he created. He also rescued him. And so God honors Daniel. He allows his name to be proclaimed to the nations. And why does he do this? Like a lot of times we want to figure out how we can be Daniel in this story. It's not always my constant encouragement, but let me encourage you in this. James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. And I read that verse, and it sounds great until we look at Daniel's life as a whole. Okay, so we're we're kind of through a big chunk of his life in verse, or through chapter 6, and we go, okay, Daniel was humble, and he humbled himself, and the, and the Lord exalted him, but what does this look like? So there's two things that I see in these six chapters that I want to point out about Daniel that we see here that I need you to hold on to, especially when we think about what it means to be exalted by God, or what our idea of exaltation is, because here's here's the first thing, we've said it. Daniel trusted God. Okay? Hold on to that. But why, or how can we tell that Daniel trusted God? What are some things that he did? One, he prayed a lot. We, we see Daniel trusting God in how he prays. It's the most Really, the, cle- the clearest, most evident sign of Daniel's trust is his faithful prayer. When this decree is handed down, forbidding prayer upon the pain of being eaten by lions, Daniel does what he's always done. He got on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks to God, just as he had done previously. It was daring. It was defiant. It was disciplined. And we have to remember that Daniel was encouraging that same type of prayer throughout his entire life. saw on chapter 1. saw on chapter 2. saw on chapter 4. And we see it here. From his youth until his old age, in difficult times and in really easy times, Daniel just prayed for God's help. He was a warrior in that space. So much does he trust in his God that Daniel gives thanks for the grace surrounding him despite his current situation. God, thank you for whatever is going on. It's it's almost like he has already read the words of Paul in Philippians 4 6, where he says, in everything with prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's just something they practiced. He didn't he didn't question that whether or not his praying was the wisest course of action. He was like, Hey, this will probably get me killed. He just did what he's always done. He just he just prayed. But in that, we see his prayer life, but we also see his dedication. Daniel's prayer in the face of this threat is so obvious of a sign of his trust in God that you might miss another sign that's really, really evident here. We should remember why Daniel is being set up by these guys in the first place. He lived a life of integrity, He applied his gifts that God had given him into how he leads as a political guy. He was a great employee, so much so that King Darius loved him. He's like, hey, how can we change this law? I can't have this happen to Daniel. He lived that type of life with excellence. And why did he do this? This verse in Jeremiah, as the captives are being sent out, this is Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Jeremiah says this. Pursue the well-being of the city that I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. God, talking to the exiles, going, as you're in these places, would you pursue the well-being of the city? Would you be great in every way that you can? Would you use your gifts for that place? Because when it thrives, then you thrive. And so Daniel lives out Jeremiah's instruction that we even see Paul proclaim, that we even see Solomon proclaim, that whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, no matter where you're at. He was dedicated with his life. So he trusts God by his prayer. He trusts God by his dedication. But what did it get him? When we look at these six chapters, what does Daniel actually get? If you were to summarize it, it's just constant testing. It is nonstop difficulty. Difficulty. The, the Bible and, and many Bible teachers and all the books that I've read about this are going to refer to Daniel as one of the great success stories in all of Scripture. But, but I think that conclusion is real selective in like the gathering of the facts of the story because a more honest measure of his story, I wouldn't call him Daniel the Great. I would just call him Daniel the Tested. That's just what he did, because none of his victories really lasted that long, just kings were raised up and maybe made a decision to follow God, and then were destroyed. No no triumph in his life lasted for more than just a little bitty chunk of his life. I think if we were to go back in time, if we could do that and sit down with Daniel and go, hey, how is it? He would probably confess to you that his life was basically fruitless. And, and why do I say that? Because... One, Daniel is ministering in one of the most pagan-filled places ever. And what did he have to show for it? Basically nothing except for King Nebi. Even this story says that all of the officials of the king turned against Daniel. And King Darius is just willing to endorse their stupidity himself also. The people of the land were no more believers because of Daniel's life at that point when he's 80 than when he was when he was a young man. His missionary journey that's about 63, 64 years in kind of looks fruitless from the outside. Michael, like, well, this is encouraging. Some of the kings sort of listened to him. Babylon wasn't really unchanged or wasn't really changed. The successors, it didn't echo into their life. The rulers were idolatrous. They were wicked. They were cruel. His positions of influence seemed to be really, really great, but they were up and down, and they were pretty purposeless as he went about his life. Daniel was an old man facing the jealousy of his peers Working with a with a dummy of a king, and he's about to become a lion's dinner. His life at this point, through in a really dark place, could be kind of measured as fruitless. Like he's he's faithful. He believed all these things about God, and he didn't see much happening in his testing. And not only were the, were, were the pagans of Babylon unchanged, I think the people of Israel were unchanged. God's people that, that were his chosen people are unchanged in this point also. Like, his trials are worth considering, the suffering, the disappointment, like, it's, it's all there. But if the Israelites go back home unchanged, what is the point of all of this? Daniel's the only one mentioned who still prays to God in the face of the king's like, Edith handed out. He's the only one that, they weren't saying, hey, we were lining up all of these faithful Israelites and just throwing them into the lions. In fact, Daniel probably wasn't eaten because they were just all full. That's not the story. Nobody was remaining faithful to God. His life seems to not even have any effect on the spiritual progress of his own people. Nehemiah chapter 13, if you want a big picture of the Bible, Nehemiah is the story of the post-exile back from Babylon. He's going to rebuild the walls. He's bringing the people back. And in Nehemiah chapter 13, which is the end of this, here's Nehemiah's irritation to the people when they come back. Verse 23, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab verse 24, half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples but could not speak Hebrew these are God's chosen people, their law is written in Hebrew they memorize it in Hebrew it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, you've got to be sharing the story with your children, with your children, with your children you write it on the doorpost, you bind it on your forehead you do all of these things, they have forgotten it They can't even speak their own language and the laws. They're that far removed in the relationship with God. And you look at Daniel and go, Daniel trusts the Lord. Daniel serves the Lord. He seems to work hard. He seems to be faithful. And the only fruit of his faith that we see here at the end of chapter 6 is jealousy, accusation, And the fact that he's so old that he can't get back home. The fact that he's so old that he didn't get to go back and see the walls rebuilt. And the the full story of Daniel's life, when we look at it, doesn't seem to inspire much trust. It's certainly not like the blessed life that the prosperity preachers are going to promise you to go. If you would just live this way, then this is what you get. Because in Daniel's life, we discover the context of reality that make our trust in God both difficult and precious because his return on his trust didn't appear to be that great. Didn't appear to be that encouraging. And through the faithfulness of his people, God determines to overcome the dark forces of this world, our, our trust does not get rid of our current trial, but when we believe that our difficulty today turns into some sort of victory for God tomorrow, then you will learn to find strength in God and frustration and tragedy, even though they come, they don't overwhelm the purposes that you see in scripture in following Jesus. And so this account of Daniel's life, when we look at it and go, I'm not super encouraged, it becomes encouraging, especially when you look at the lion's in story because it encourages us not only to trust in God, but also to live for God. Why? Verse 28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, so this is his life. If, if Daniel is encouraged not only to trust in God, but to live for God, this is what this got him. As the band comes back up, let me, let me explain this to you. What Daniel has done here in the first six chapters is he's learned that, if, that he has to live for God even if it costs him everything. Which was probably more difficult for God because he, he wasn't seeing a whole lot changing around him. But he was still choosing to live for God, even if it was going to cost him up to his life. He, he lived for God because he believed that God was going to deliver him. But, but most importantly in all of this, I think that he, he lives for God because he has hope. He, he has hope he, he believes that the Lord can change everything through us he can change everything beyond us that he can change everything after us and we should keep living courageously because we are living in this hope or this this confidence that our God is going to fulfill the purposes through us that he promised from the beginning if we would just stand for him and and this is this is the sign of God's faithfulness that we all remember it's this. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The name of the final ruler listed here in chapter 6 is most important because under this ruler, the people of Israel begin to return to their homeland. He grants their freedom to send them back. And so Daniel's influence with Darius rolls over into... Cyrus, and some people would argue that these are the same people. It doesn't necessarily matter. But under Cyrus the Persian, he allows God's people to go back home. And because they return to Israel, ultimately a child is to be born in the city of David who would be Christ our Lord. And so Daniel's faithfulness Is hope to trust in God even when it made zero sense and even when he saw zero fruit and even if it was going to cost him his life, his his faithfulness leads to God's promise finally being fulfilled. And that's the hope that Daniel maintained all the way into his old age. And so so here's the challenge. Like, like We don't know. We don't know the story that God is writing but you do know that he's called you to be faithful. We don't know what he's going to do with this. Like, I don't think lions' dens are really in any of our future. But I know that persecution is, because it's promised. I don't know what the story of your life is. I'm thankful because I don't get to write it. God does. But in that, if you would just remain faithful, walking in hope, even if your story makes no sense and you see no fruit and it just seems to be all difficult, you don't know what story God is writing. And through the faithfulness of Daniel, we get Jesus. Through the faithfulness of Daniel, not only do we get to see the line of Jesus come alive as they get pushed back into their homeland... The Chaldeans, the astrologers that we saw in the first couple chapters become the wise men who go and worship this king. He, his story is echoing into all kinds of places. And in this we see that God desires to use you to make his name famous if you would just walk in the same kind of hope. Let me pray for us and then we'll respond and worship. God, would you, by your spirit, grant us that sort of hope, that sort of desire, that sort of, of passion that, that Daniel had that built trust. God, where we get into such a rhythm that, that even in not-so-difficult times we seek you, so in difficult times it's just the thing that we do. And what do we reflect? A hope and a trust in our God that's bigger than our situations, that's bigger than our surroundings, that's bigger than even our view of what's going on. We trust the author and the perfecter of our faith who writes a story that brings himself the most glory to use us in the same way that you, for some reason, chose to use Daniel. God, I don't want to be a Daniel per se, but I just want to be somebody who's faithful, who's filled with hope, who runs after you, knowing that you've called me to do that, to make your name famous. For your glory and for our good, we respond in worship now. By your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we respond?